December 7th, 1941, a day that will live in infamy. Those are the words that came across the radio that day. It's one of those dates, December 7th, that's indelibly etched into our minds, uncompared except to the likes of September 11th, 2001. It was a day when we were attacked, brutally attacked, a day when thousands of lives were lost at the hands of invaders who had little regard for human life, especially American lives. Why do these dates stick so fast into our minds? Why do memories of these days stir up such emotion, even from a day like this that was some 70 years ago now? You see, it's not just because we were attacked or the innocent lives were lost. Battles such as the Battle of the Bulge or the storming of the beach at Normandy were far bloodier in World War II than this day, December 7th. So why do we remember this date? Why do we remember the date September 11th? And why do they stir us so when we stop to think about what had happened? I think it's not just because we were attacked, but that we were attacked unmercifully with such surprise that we were not even prepared to defend ourselves. We were in essence helpless. And in that moment, we were hopeless. Both of these attacks led us to come to a harsh realization that there was an enemy out there who sought to destroy us. And that we'd better figure out what we were doing and prepare ourselves for battle because the fight was far from over. Now, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about angels and demons. We've been learning a few things about them, like that the good ones, these good angels do God's bidding. They typically are messengers and they're used at times to directly intervene into our lives when God sees fit. But we've also learned that there are some bad ones, that a third of these angels fell from heaven and they decided to rebel against God and that their mission in life is to seek to do us harm because we reflect God's image. You realize that? We reflect the image of God. And that is something that they don't like. Now, for those of you who have been part of this series over the last few weeks talking about angels and demons, maybe the thought crossed your mind, yeah, this is all interesting stuff, but what am I supposed to do with this information? How does, this, how does this apply to my life? Well, hang on for this morning, because here it comes. Now, I apologize if that video clip was a little bit jarring or even harsh. I had to get into my little Mac and clip a piece of, careful pieces out that were a little bit too hard to show. But I really wanted to show that clip, because every time I watch it, it gets me. I don't know about you, but those emotions that I feel and perhaps that you feel, that sense of violation that you felt as you saw Americans under attack, what would you think if I told you that that was happening to you today and the lives of those that you love? As we start our time this morning, there's a deep realization that I think we need to see this morning, and it's this. We are under attack today. Americans and non-Americans, Christians and non-Christians alike, all of the human race is under a full-scale attack. But not from nations or terrorist groups or from that seek to have a different ideology than us and try to change us. We are actually under attack from an enemy that we can't even see. But nevertheless, it's even more real and more dangerous than those who bombed Pearl Harbor or destroyed the Twin Towers. Now, the frightening thing about this is, from, is that for most of us, we don't even realize when we're being attacked. We're being caught, off surpri- caught by surprise by a band of fallen angels that God says in his word are dead set on destroying each one of us. Have you ever thought about that? So many of us are unprepared. 
We are being attacked at the moment and we don't even know where the attack is coming from, much less how to defend ourselves from it. Though I don't always understand it, I know that Scripture speaks that angels are real and that they are powerful, whether they are doing God's bidding or whether they are not. Satan and all other fallen angels have the ability to manipulate the weather, to bring sickness upon us and even to kill us, as we see in the book of Job and in other places in Scripture. This stuff is very real. But outside of our prayers of faith and the submission to the will of God, there isn't a whole lot we can do about those situations in our lives. We submit ourselves to God. We pray for him to be in control in those situations as he is. And God makes those decisions. But when, when bad things happen, and that includes things that we think are bad at the time, we can't always know for sure whether these things are happening from the hand of God, from fallen angels, from the natural consequences of living in a broken world, or just from our own dumb decisions sometimes, right? Now, we could spend our morning this morning in talking about spiritual warfare. We could talk about the sneak attacks of things like cancer, broken relationships, the accidents that happen on the freeway. I was just talking with a friend of mine who isn't a Christian. He just again kept asking me, why do kids have to die? We can spend a lot of time talking about that and that aspect of spiritual warfare this morning. But I want to take a slightly different angle this morning. I want us to talk about another way that Satan attacks us. A way that is far more deceptive and far more debilitating than any of those things that come to attack our bodies. This way I'm going to share with you is far more common in fact, we are all attacked this way without warning throughout our lives, and we have been even since we were little kids, each one of us. So what is this battlefield? It's the battlefield of the mind. Let me share an example with you. <clears throat> Last weekend, I went on a men's retreat with a couple dozen of our guys uh, in Williams, Arizona. How many of you were on that retreat this year? Some of you raising your hands. It was an awesome weekend. Many of our guys were just really ministered to as Stu Weber spoke uh, about the tender warrior and how to fight for our families. Now, going into this weekend, I personally had been experiencing a good bit of stress. Normally, I manage stress pretty well. And when it gets to a point that I start experiencing regular headaches, stomach problems and those sorts of things, I've kind of learned over time. This, in those times, I need to learn to pay attention to what's going on and to do something about it. Right. Not rocket science. As my stress has been building over the last few weeks, though, this time I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to what was going on inside of me. My life is a bit full at the moment. So many things are happening in my life and in my family's life that I have little control over. I'm leading a church and a ministry that I love. And even though I'm only going to be an hour and a half away, I thought that I could just do that the first service and I'd be done with it. I can't. You guys have had a tremendous impact on my life and my family. I don't know how we're going to get through today. <laughs> but I'm leaving several hundred friends behind. And so is my wife and my son. And we just want to tell you, we're going to miss you a lot. And if you're ever in Tucson, we have a room for you. We want to have you join us in our home there. But in the midst of all that, I'm also trying to prepare hope for my leaving. I'm getting ready to preach my first sermon series at Grace in Tucson. I'm packing up belongings, staging my house to try to get it rented, trying to keep the house clean and keep it clutter-free 24-7 as all these strangers trips in and out of our house looking at every bedroom and every closet and cupboard. Have you ever experienced this before? It's quite, a, quite aggravating. 
while making several trips to Tucson to look for temporary and permanent places to live. With all that, I've just had this attitude of I need to pray, I need to seek God's will, and I need to get her done. Push through the stress and just get through it. Last weekend at that men's retreat was the first opportunity I have had in weeks to just be still. And on Saturday morning, I woke up early to be a part of a devotional with some of our guys. From a passage in Isaiah 44, God spoke to my heart last Saturday morning to help me realize that much of the stress that I thought I was experiencing, or that I was experiencing, that I thought had to do with all those things that I share with you, had very little to do with that. Actually, what God showed me that morning was it had a lot more to do with my fear of starting a new ministry at a new church as a lead pastor. My fear of the unknown, my fear of failure, to be honest, my fear of not meeting expectations of others were driving me and starting to tear me up inside. And here's the thing. I didn't even realize it. I hadn't paid attention to what was going on inside of me and how my thoughts were so deeply affecting me. Why was I having those feelings? Why were they leading me to become so stressed? There was a battle that was being waged. Satan found a vulnerable place for me, planted those thoughts in my mind, and the battle began. For years, Satan has hit me at vulnerable times in my life. He always knows the best times to hit me with the things he hits me with. And he will speak these lies into my heart to get me to believe them. And as I prayed and journaled that afternoon in Williams, Arizona, God helped me to see how some of the disappointments, some of the insecurities in my past, some of which go back to even when I was a kid, Satan has used to get me to believe things about myself over and over again at times when, when things get hard and I'm weak and vulnerable. Things like that people don't really love me for who I am. That God is distant and won't be there for me when I need him. That I am loved based on my performance. And if I don't do things with excellence, then I'll be rejected. That if I'm not careful and I don't work hard enough, perform well enough, I'll end up broke. You, you hear me say those things and you think, oh, David, are you serious? Yeah. Without re really paying attention to the war being waged again inside of me, in just a few weeks' time, I managed to begin to again become fearful and stressed to the point that it started taking a toll on my body. Now, how could I believe such ridiculous nonsense? I've been walking with God all of my life, and I have been serving Him in ministry now for 15 years. How could I believe such dumb stuff? I can tell you. Very subtly and slowly. It's kind of like that story of boiling a frog. Have you heard that? That if you throw a, a frog in a pot of boiling water, they'll jump out instantly. But if you throw, it, throw them in a pot of cold water and you just slowly turn up the heat a little bit, a little bit, a little bit more, they'll stay in there and they'll allow themselves to be cooked to death, not even realize what's happening. Now, I don't know if that story is true. I haven't checked. I hadn't, probably should check Snopes and see if that's just a bunch of bull or not. But, but let me just tell you, I like the illustration and it's certainly true, no doubt, in our own lives today. How about you? Can you relate to my story? What are those whispers, those lies that Satan throughout your life has gotten you to believe over and over again about yourself or about other people or even about God in those times when you were a bit more vulnerable, when you were open for attack? 
Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? It happens. This kind of stuff happens to the best of us. Just like Pearl Harbor, the enemy has a way of sneaking up on us and firing on us. Satan does this by getting us basically to believe stuff that is totally untrue, right? Maybe you think about yourself in those moments, things like this. I can't really trust anyone. I'm unlovable. I'm stupid. I'm worthless. Not really worthy of love. Or maybe, maybe your designer bait from the enemy are things like things about other people. Things like, people think I'm ugly. Or people think I'm beautiful, but they only care about me based on my looks. Or they don't care about me, they just hang around me because of my money. Or because of my talent in some area of my life. Or because of what I can do for them. That if I'm, that people really knew me for who I am, that if I let down my mask I put up for myself and let people see the real me, that no one would love me. Or maybe, maybe it includes lies that Satan gets you to believe at times about God. That God really doesn't exist. Or that he exists, but he doesn't really care about people, especially me. That the only way God will love me is if I earn his acceptance. What are the lies? What are those lies that you have allowed yourself to believe? Think about it this morning. Have you ever thought about how they affect the decisions, perhaps, that you have even made in your life? Now, as you might expect, the Bible talks a lot about these lies that we have come to believe. And Scripture calls them strongholds. Let's start by looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. I want to share with you a passage there where Paul speaks about these strongholds. It says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. God is using Paul here to speak to an audience that is being deceived. He's actually not even speaking to non-Christians here, but actually to people who know God. And he's telling them, you've been believing lies. You've been buying into these arguments, these thoughts, these claims that aren't even true at all. In fact, when you put them up before the knowledge of God, the truth found in Scripture, they are utterly ridiculous. And he says further down in verse 7, he says, you're only looking at the surface of things. Are you guilty of that? In other words, you're not looking at what's really going on here behind the scenes. You're buying into these lies and they're becoming strongholds in your life. These fortified places that you're making harder and harder to attack, to tear down. You're buying into things, verse 2 says, that the world is telling you. But we're guilty of the same thing today, aren't we? We're told today that you have to look a certain way. That no one will care about you if you don't have the right stuff. Or act a certain way. Or not, basically not be you at all. The way God created you. That what God made when he created you, well, it just wasn't quite good enough. Or maybe you even believe that it's a dog-eat-dog world out there and you can't trust anyone. And you certainly can't trust, put your trust in God. The book of 2 Corinthians is explaining here that we have to be careful because if we keep listening to these lies that Satan is feeding us 
and tricking us into believing over and over again will set up strongholds in our lives that will tear us down and might even destroy us. So what is a stronghold, really? As I, went, I spent some time researching this word. I found that the original Greek word that's used for that word here in this passage is the Greek word akuroma, which literally means this. It means something or someone in which a person relies. Strongholds are things that we put our faith in, that we put our trust in. Strongholds are all about our thinking. They're deceptive and false thoughts that we buy into that are used against us by these fallen angels. Now, the thought itself that Satan sends into our minds isn't a stronghold. Not until we agree with it. Until we buy into the lie. Do you understand what I'm saying? But the scary thing about strongholds isn't that, um, is that the ways that they trick us into putting our own lives into bondage. John 8:44, Jesus says that Satan is the father of lies and all that is false. He lies to you and to me. He tells us things about ourselves, about other people, and even about our circumstances that are just not true. He can get us to believe things even about God that aren't true. How does he do it? He begins by bombarding our minds with a cleverly devised pattern of little nagging thoughts, suspicions, theories, doubts, and fears. He moves slowly and cautiously. After all, well-laid plans take time, right? Japan didn't plan Pearl Harbor overnight. They spent time methodically planning that out. And just like that situation that you saw in the clip, Satan has a strategy to his warfare. He has been studying us all of our lives. He knows where our strengths are as well as our weaknesses. And he is willing to invest any amount of time it takes to defeat us. But because this enemy isn't visible and the attacks he sends aren't as noticeable as a bombing mission or planes being flown into a building, we don't always recognize what's happening. But make no mistake, it is nonetheless a battle and your enemy is Satan and the fallen angels that do his bidding. Jesus himself warned that they are intent on destroying us. He said in John 10.10 that Satan comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy, right? But Jesus said... Doesn't matter. I've come that, that you can have life and that you can have it to the fullest. In other words, Jesus is saying, I've come to help you see how the enemy is using sin, is using his lies, is using the fallen world around you to try to do you in. But God says, I want you to have an abundant life, not just in heaven, but here on earth. And Satan's trying to trick you out of it. And this, the abundance isn't material possessions, it's not things, it's not riches. The abundant life God wants to give us is joy, it's contentment, it's peace. Jesus came and died on the cross to provide a way for us to God and ultimately to beat the grip that Satan has had on humanity. And Jesus says if we put our trust in him, that Satan cannot ultimately destroy us. However, that doesn't mean that he can't try to destroy our lives while here on earth. Please hear me. If we allow him to set up strongholds in our lives... He can even get us to make decisions that are based on those lies that can hurt ourselves and other people. Take an example. Suicides. They are typically strongholds where Satan gets people to believe things that are totally untrue, right? Untrue about their circumstances, about their past, present, and even their future. 
And Satan makes victims feel totally helpless about their future. It's a stronghold. Jesus says in John 10.10 that he wants us to have an abundant life on earth, not just in heaven. Ephesians 6 6 says that really it's not ourselves or our own thoughts that we're wrestling with, but it's with the author of those thoughts. Look at Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 12. It says, For we live in the world, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm back in 2 Corinthians again. I really like that passage. (laughs) Ephesians 6. Sorry. Finally, be strong in the Lord. That sounds much better. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world... And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In this passage, Scripture says that we aren't wrestling to overcome. Excuse me, let me back up. Scripture is saying that we're, we're not wrestling people. We're not wrestling the situations so oftentimes that we see in our lives and we think are about the people that are hurting us. We're really wrestling strongholds of Satan, who perhaps even at times uses other people to try to tear us down. It says here in this passage that our struggle isn't with our culture, really, or the people in it. Our battle is with the devil and his schemes. And it says we need to protect ourselves and even fight back. Not just stand by meekly and allow the devil to have his way in our lives and in the lives of the people that we care about. In the verses that follow in this passage in Ephesians 6, it explains how we should protect ourselves and fight back while using this analogy of a soldier going into battle. Now, he is in this, in this passage in Ephesians 6, as you read a little bit further down, it says he's he, basically it's saying that we need to suit up for protection because the battle will come. Right. God has made provision for you so that you can withstand any attack that he lets come your way. He never indicates that we won't face trials and attacks. God is actually saying here he wants you to suit up for those times. He doesn't deliver us from the battle. But he can protect us in the battle. But you can't defeat the enemy if you can't ever discern what he's trying to do in your life. And that's important. We can have, all, we can have on all the armor we want, but it does no good if we actually if never put it on. You know, it's like an alarm system. You can have a really nice, expensive alarm system you can, in your house. You can drop two or $3,000 on one, where every time you open a door, you crack a window, you walk through a certain part of your hallway, the thing will beep at you and go off and call all kinds of people, right? But if you never, if you never push arm, it doesn't work, right? Doesn't matter how much it costs. If you don't arm the thing, it doesn't work. You're going to get robbed. God's protection isn't automatic. God gives us the strength for the struggle that we need to go through. He doesn't give you the strength so you can do nothing with it. It's like a bodybuilder pushing himself in the gym. You gain strength through the struggle. So how do we fight against the work of Satan and his fellow angels who are working so hard to try to defeat us in our lives? Two simple things, personally, I think. We need to think differently and we need to fight differently. Romans 12:2 says this. Do not conform yourself any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the what? The renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
In other words, don't shape your life or be guided by the patterns of the world, but be transformed. Be utterly changed from the inside out by the renewing of your mind. How do we renew our minds? By simply listening to the words of God and spending time in his presence. John 8, verses 31 to 32 says this. If you abide in my word, hold fast to my teachings and live in accordance with them, you are truly my disciples. And then notice this. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus is reminding us that we must get the knowledge of God's truth in us so that when the lies of the enemy come, we are better able to recognize them as lies and not buy into them. We need to stay regularly in the word so that we will know God's truth when we are tempted to believe the lies. Now, we won't allow the strongholds to remain or even be built in the first place if we do this. And in so doing, Jesus says, then we'll be truly free. Ephesians 6, 16 is basically talking about the fiery darts of the evil one. And that this is a battlefield of the mind that we're fighting against. Truth is. To be honest with you, truth is a weapon with a lot of power, a lot of God power. Preparing yourself constantly with God's truth prevents these strongholds from ever taking root in our lives. Because you can't defeat an enemy if you can't discern an enemy. And the only way to discern lies is to look at the truth. It's kind of like when they teach people working in the banks first time. What's the genuine bill and what's the counterfeit? They teach you what they teach you what they keep having you feel what a true bill looks like. So that you can spot a counterfeit. Some of you are having marital problems. And you're thinking that the problems are all about your spouse. You're having trouble connecting with your kids. And you think somehow it's all your fault. Or maybe even theirs. These battles typically have a spiritual element to them. And it's certainly not God that we're fighting against. As Ephesians 6.12 says in another translation. This is not a wrestling match against a human opponent. We are wrestling with rulers, with authorities, the powers who govern this world of darkness, and spiritual forces that control evil in the heavenly world. How easy it is for us to not see the real enemy in those times when life is giving us its worst. Satan can orchestrate circumstances at times in our lives to get us down. True. In those moments, Satan can get us down for a moment, but he would rather... Sneak up on us and get us to start thinking things that aren't the truth. Because then he can step back and watch us hurt ourselves. Have you ever thought about that? Part of thinking differently also means to remind ourselves daily of the destructive power of sin. So often when the devil tempts us, we don't take the time to think about how acting on that sin will hurt us and even other people long term. Or if we think about it. We, don't we tend to us underestimate the repercussions of it? How that sin draws us away from God and opens the door to even more things? You know, for instance, lustful thoughts. Lustful thoughts can lead to pornography or an affair, which leads to hiding things and lying when the truth starts to come out. Material thought, materialistic thoughts can lead us to buying things with money that we don't have. We become poor stewards of God's resources that he has entrusted to us And we stop giving to God's work, whether it be locally or around the world. And we rack up debt. And again, we're held in bondage. Bondage to a lie that says, I need what they have. You know, I love Starbucks coffee. 
If you haven't figured that out about me already. Dark, strong, and black. Now, they have this one strong blend called Verona. And if you go to the right stores, Costco doesn't carry it. But if you go to Safeway, they have decaf Verona. I need decaf because I'm a little high-strung as it is already. So I don't need the caffeine. And it's hard to find this, but if you go to Safeway, you can find decaf Verona. And I buy that all the time because it's the strongest stuff I can find. I mean, I like it so strong that if I'm not careful, if I don't pace myself, I can burn a hole in my stomach during the day. I will feel it. But, oh, but you can go to Starbucks and you can get stuff there that you can't get in Safeway. They had this one thing called um, Komodo Dragon. Oh, it's like heaven in a cup. Let me tell you. It's good. And then they had this one called Tanzanian Peaberry. Now, they don't have this one very often. But when they have Tanzanian Peaberry, get in line. It'll put, I'm telling you, guys, it'll put hair on your chest when you drink this stuff. In fact, I now have to limit every day how much of this stuff I drink because my stomach will start giving me trouble. I just love it so much. In fact, my wife is constantly pushing mints to me on Sunday mornings and other times because she thinks, she's like, your breath stinks from all the coffee. Now, every time I go to Starbucks, whether instead of brewing my own at home, I remind myself every time I walk through those doors, I'm getting ready to drop another buck and a half into Starbucks coffers. Unless I stick around and I spend time getting free refills, which I am prone to do. The, but it's price weighs how often I go, right? Now, if drip coffee started costing four bucks a cup, like those frou-frou drinks that you guys go and buy all the time, I'd probably be drinking a lot less. But I'd still dabble in drinking them a little bit because when I felt like I needed it, right? But what if the coffee costs $4,000 a cup? Somehow, I'd manage to quit cold turkey, right? Because the cost is too big of a price to pay. That's the way it is with sin. We don't recognize how much it's costing us. Many consider today sin to be like a $4 cup of coffee. It stings a little bit, but generally it doesn't hit us quite hard enough. It's not too hard. But if we realize just how much it costs us, not only because of the consequences, but also because of how it opens us up to further attack from the enemy... We'd see things differently. How has, he been te- how has Satan been tempting you to turn away from God? What's pulling at you? Is it your anger? Lust? Materialism? Is it bending the truth? Compromising your integrity in some way? What is it? What is that designer bait, as Pastor Dwayne mentioned weeks ago, that Satan just has a way of pulling on you over and over again? In turning from these things, we in essence should be turning ourselves to God to make Him our stronghold. The same word, look in Psalm 144, it says this, He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge. Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? But... As we're talking about thinking differently, we can't just leave it there. There, You know, thinking differently is a great defensive measure. But when we're in a battle, we can't just defend ourselves all the time, right? We need to go on the offense and defeat the work of fallen angels in our lives. And that means we have to learn to fight differently. We recognize that we're not just fighting flesh and blood. We're not really just fighting against each other. Ultimately, 
We're fighting against these demonic powers that are out to use whatever means possible to take us down. We fight differently by taking control of every thought that the enemy sends us. Every lie, every temptation, and not letting any of them take root in our lives. Remember what 2 Corinthians 10.5 said a little bit earlier? We take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. Think about that for a moment. You can control what you think. Did you know that? Martin Luther once said, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from building a nest in your hair. In other words, you can't keep Satan from lying to you, from trying to influence you, but you can say no to those thoughts when they come and end them there. So say the enemy, for example, is starting to plant a seed of doubt about God's presence in your life. He speaks into your heart things and you have this thought, you know, God's really not here with you. You're all alone. This stuff you're going through, you better just hang on because you're going to be in this all by yourself. God's not going to help you. In those moments, we go back to Scripture and find that that is not true. We say to ourselves, yeah, there have been times when I have started to think that I'm all alone. But I know what God's Word says. I see that thought for what it is. It's a lie straight from the pit of hell and I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to buy into it. Hebrews 13.5 says, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. The truth in James 4.8, come close to God and God will come close to you. In those moments, we have to spend time before God's, before God's throne. We need to take the word of God with us. We need to read those scriptures and we need to see them deep into our hearts. Because only then can we really fight against this battlefield of our minds. It's exactly what Jesus taught us to do, wasn't it? Look back in Luke 4, when Jesus was being tempted in the desert. I mean, imagine being in the, in the Sonoran Desert here for 40 days and 40 nights without any food. And spending time with God. You might be a little bit weak, right? Jesus did that. For 40 days before he began his ministry, he spent that time in the desert. And here's the thing. He, Satan waited until the 40th day to attack. And how did he attack? Battlefield of the mind. He sent three different thoughts to him to try to tempt him, to try to pull him away, to try to twist truth just a little bit to get him to believe a lie. But what did Jesus do? He did exactly what we're supposed to do. He took that word of God that was in his heart and he just quoted it right back to the enemy. He said, no, that's a lie. I'm not buying it. I'm not going to accept it. And that's exactly what we should do in our own lives. That verse immediately before James 4.8 says, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. When you attack Satan with the word of God, he has to retreat. You can attack him with your own words won't do a whole lot of good. You've come at him with the truth that's from God's word and he has to flee. Hebrews 4, 12 to 13 says in the message, God means what he says. What he says goes. His powerful word is as sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and to obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. We can't get away from it no matter what. Friends, our enemy is a powerful one. 
He may use our past or even our present to cause us to suffer. But we must not use it as an excuse to stay in bondage to Him. We can't do anything about our past or, our, or the present circumstances that the enemy throws at us. But what we can do is we can fight Him by thinking differently and fighting differently. You know, next Sunday is we, but we as a nation, and well, I should say next Monday, we as a nation will celebrate Memorial Day and remember the ultimate price that men and women have paid to set us free and to keep us free. We will remember days like Pearl Harbor and how, though we were surprised and attacked, we came back fighting. They knocked us down for a moment, but then we picked ourselves back up and the following day, on December 8th, 1941, we declared war. So as I say goodbye to you today, my last appeal to you is to please, please pay attention to what is going on behind the scenes of your life. And remember, we have a battle to fight that we need to fight. And it's a good battle. We can blow it off. We can deny the power that Satan and these fallen angels have on the earth today. And you know what? That will do no good. It only leaves a target on our foreheads. And he continues to attack us on the battlefield of our minds. So what battles are you waging in your mind today? What are those lines that Satan is trying to get you to believe? Is it that the temptations he's throwing at you won't have any real consequences in your life if you act on them? That those temptations won't pull you away from God at all? Or is it strongholds? Lies that he has gotten you to buy into about yourself, about others, or even about God. May you have the will to spend time in his word, the patience to be still before God, and the determination to fight this spiritual battle by deciding each day to think and to fight differently. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this time that we've had together this morning to look into your word and to face a reality that so oftentimes we never even consider. And that's that we're in a battle. We're in a battle with an enemy that we can't even see. Yet you have promised us that you will never leave us and forsake us. And that we can fight this battle by thinking and fighting differently. Lord, would you remind us in those times when we think our battle is against those we love. Or even those that are our, we think are our enemies. Where the battle is really being waged. And challenge us, Lord, as many times as it takes to not buy into the lies that are being sent our way on a daily basis, particularly in those times when we are most vulnerable. In Jesus' name, amen.